0: Chapter 3 of A Float on the Ohio An Historic Pilgrimage of a Thousand Miles in a Skiff From Redstone to Cairo This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Hoffman A Float on the Ohio by Reuben Gold Thwaitis. Chapter 3 Shingis Old Town, The Dynamiter, Yellow Creek Neistley's Cluster, West Virginia, Tuesday, May 8th We were off at a quarter past seven, and among the earliest shoppers in Rochester, on the east bank of the Beaver, where supplies were laid in for the day. This busy, prosperous-looking place bears little resemblance to the squalid Indian village which just found here in November 1750. It was then the seat of Barney Curran, an Indian trader, the same Curran whom Washington, three years later, employed in the mission to Venango. But the smaller sister town of Beaver, on the lower side of the mouth, or rather the western outskirts of Beaver a mile below the mouth, has the most ancient history. On account of a ford across the Beaver, about where is now a slack water dam, the neighborhood became of early importance to the French as a fur-trading center. With customary liberality toward the Indians, whom they assiduously cultivated, the French, in 1756, built for them, on this site, a substantial town, which the English indifferently called Saraconque, Socon, King's Beaver Town, or Shingus Old Town. During the French and Indian War, the place was prominent as a rendezvous for the enemies of American borderers. Numerous bloody forays were planned here, and hither were brought to be adopted into the tribes, or to be cruelly tortured, according to savage whim, many of the captives whose tales have made lurid the history of the Ohio Valley. Passing Beaver River, the Ohio enters upon its grand sweep to the southwest. The wide uplands at once become more rustic, especially those of the left bank, which no longer is threaded by a railway, as heretofore all the way from Brownsville the two ranges of undulating hills some three hundred and fifty feet high forming the rim of the basin are about a half mile apart while the river itself is perhaps a third of a mile in width leaving narrow bottoms on alternate sides as the stream in gentle curves rebounds from the rocky base of one hill to that of another when winding about such a base there is at this stage of the water a sloping stony beach some ten to twenty yards in width from which ascends the sharp steep For the most part heavily tree-clad maples, birches, elms, and oaks of goodly girth, the latter as yet in but half-leaf. On the bottom side of the river, the alluvial terrace presents a sheer wall of clay rising from eight to a dozen feet above the beach, which is often thick-grown with willows, whose roots hold the soil from becoming too easy a prey to the encroaching current. Sycamores now begin to appear in the bottoms although of less size than we shall meet below sometimes the little towns we see occupy a narrow and more or less rocky bench upon the hillside of the stream but settlement is chiefly found upon the bottoms shippingsport 32 miles on the left bank where we stopped this noon for eggs butter and fresh water is on a narrow hill bench a dry woe begone hamlet sidetracked from the path of the world's progress While I was on shore, negotiating with the sleepy storekeeper, Pilgrim and her crew waited alongside the flatboat which serves as the town ferry. There they were visited by a breezy, red-faced young man in a blue flannel shirt and a black slouch hat, who was soon enough at his ease to lie flat upon the ferry gunwale, his cheeks supported by his hands, and talk to W. and the doctor as if they were old friends. He was a dealer in nitroglycerin cartridges, he said, and pointed to a long, rakish-looking skiff hard by, which bore a red flag at its prow. "'You see that? That there red flag? Well, that's the law on us glycerin fellers. Over five hundred pounds, two flags, under five hundred, one flag. I tell yer the steamboats steer clear of me, and don't yer forget it, neither. They just give me a wide berth they do, you bet. And the railroads?' they don't carry no glycerine cartridge, they don't, all of it by my skiff, like you're seeing me goin'. These cartridges, he explained, are dropped into oil or gas wells whose owners are desirous of accelerating the flow. The cartridge, in exploding, enlarges the hole, and often the output of the well is at once increased by several hundred percent. The young fellow had the air of a self-confident rustic with little experience in the world. Indeed, it seemed from his elated manner as if this might be his first trip from home, and the blowing of oil wells and incidental speculation. The boy, quick at inventive nomenclature, and fresh from a reading of Robert Louis Stevenson, called our visitor, the dynamiter, and by that title I suppose we shall always remember him. The dynamiter confided to his listeners that he was going down the river for "'A clean hundred miles, and that's right smart fur, ain't it? How fur down be ye's going?' The doctor replied that we were going nine hundred, whereat the man of explosives gave vent to his feelings in a prolonged whistle, then a hoarse laugh, and, "'Oh, come now, don't be giving us taffy. Say honest, Injun. How fur down are you fellers going, anyhow?' It was with some difficulty that he could comprehend the fact. A hundred miles on the river was a great outing for this village lad. Nine hundred was rather beyond his comprehension, although he finally compromised by allowing that we might be going as far as Cincinnati. Wouldn't the doctor go into partnership with him? He had no caps for his cartridges, and if the doctor would buy caps and stand with him on the cost of the glycerine, they would, regardless of Ohio statutes, blow up the fish in the unfrequented portions of the river, and make two hundred dollars apiece by carrying the spoils into Wheeling. The doctor, as a law-abiding citizen, good-naturedly declined, and upon my return to the flat, the dynamiter was handing the boy a huge stick of barber-pole candy, saying, "'Well, you fellers, we'll part friends, anyhow, but sorry you won't go in on this speck. There's right smart money in it, and don't you forget it.' By the middle of the afternoon we reached the boundary line, forty miles— between Pennsylvania on the east and Ohio and West Virginia on the west. The last Pennsylvania settlements are a half-mile above the boundary, Smith's Ferry, right, an old and somewhat decayed village, on a broad, low bottom at the mouth of the picturesque Little Beaver Creek, and Georgetown, a prosperous-looking, sedate town with tidy lawns running down to the edge of the terrace, below which is a shelving stone beach of generous width two high iron towers supporting the cable of a current ferry add dignity to the twin settlements a stone monument six feet high just observable through the willows on the right shore marks the boundary while upon the left bank surmounting a high rock-strewn beach is the dilapidated frame-house of a west virginia cracker through whose garden patch the line takes its way unobserved and unthought of by pigs chickens and children which in hopeless promiscuity swarm the interstate premises for many days to come we are to have ohio on the right bank and west virginia on the left there is no perceptible change of course in the contour of the rugged hills which hem us in yet somehow it stirs the blood to reflect that quite within the recollection of all of us in pilgrim's crew save the boy that left bank was the house of bondage And that right, the land of freedom, and this river of ours, the highway between East Liverpool, forty four miles, and Westville, forty eight miles, are long stretches of pottery and tile making works, both of them on the Ohio shore. There is nothing there to lure us, however, and we determined to camp on the banks of Yellow Creek, fifty one miles, a peaceful little Ohio stream, some two rods in width, its mouth crossed by two great iron spans, for railway and highway. But although Yellow Creek winds most gracefully and is altogether a charming bit of rustic water, deep-set amid picturesque slopes of field and wood, we fail to find upon its banks an appropriate camping-place. Upon one side a country road closely skirts the shore, and on the other a railway, while for the mile or more we pushed along small farmsteads almost abutted, Hence we retrace our path to the great river, and, dropping downstream for two miles, find that we seek upon the lower end of the chief of Nicely's Cluster two islands on the West Virginia side of the channel. It is storied ground, this neighborhood of ours. Over there, at the mouth of Yellow Creek, was, a hundred and twenty years ago, the camp of Logan, the Mingo chief. Opposite, on the West Virginia shore, Baker's Bottom, where occurred the treacherous massacre of Logan's family. The tragedy is interwoven with the history of the Trans-Allegheny border, and schoolboys have in many lands and tongues recited the pathetic defense of the poor Mingo, who, more sinned against than sinning, was crushed in the inevitable struggle between savagery and civilization. Who is there to mourn for Logan? We are high and dry on our willowed island. Above, just out of sight, are moored a brace of steam-piled drivers engaged in strengthening the dam which unites us with Baker's Bottom. To the left lies a broad stretch of gravel strand, beyond which is the narrow water fed by the overflow of the dam. To the right, the broad steamboat channel rolls between us and the Ohio Hills, while the far-reaching vista downstream is a feast of shade and tint, by land and water, with the lights and smoke of New Cumberland and Sloane Station faintly discernible near the horizon. All about us lies a beautiful world of woodland. The whistle of quails innumerable broke upon us in the twilight, succeeding to the calls of rose-bested grosbeaks and a goodly company of daylight followers. In this darkening hour, the low, plaintive note of the whip-poor-will is heard on every hand, now and then interrupted by the hoarse bark of owls. There is a gentle tinkling of cowbells on the Ohio shore and on both are human voices confused by distance. All pervading is the deep, sullen roar of a great wing-dam a half-mile or so downstream. The camp is gypsy-like. Our washing lies spread on bushes, where it will catch the first peep of morning sun. Perishable provisions rest in notches of trees, where the cool evening breeze will strike them. Seated upon the grub-box, I am writing up our log by aid of the lantern hung from a branch overhead, while W., ever busy, sits by with her mending. Lying in the moonlight, which through the sprawling willows gaily checkers our sandbank. the doctor and the boy are discussing the doings of Briar Rabbit, for we are in the Southland now, and may any day meet good Uncle Remus. Footnote A. On this creek, that is Yellow Creek, Was the hunting cabin of the Seneca Mingo chief Half King, who sent a message of welcome to Washington when the latter was on his way to Great Meadow, seventeen fifty four. End of chapter three. Recording by Robert Hoffman.